0: to the At Ramsey Heights podcast, your source for all of our audio messages at Ramsey Heights Baptist Church in Batesville, Arkansas. This is Pastor Brian Coates, and I hope this encouragement from God's Word connects with you and helps guide you through your next steps on your journey with God. Enjoy today's message. With you. We're going to begin today in Psalm, chapter, or Psalm 95. Psalm 95 today, you can go ahead and turn there. If you want to turn to all the scripture, we will also be in Ephesians 5 towards the end of the service. Well, in 2013, I met this beautiful lady and we went on our our first date and I just fell incredibly in love with her. And if you've met my wife, you understand why. She has this this, this beautiful, perfect smile. She is genuine to everybody. She takes care of everybody. And I just went head over heels as quick as I could. Now, fast forward that to the following February, about five months later, Valentine's Day is coming up. And I thought, I want to do something for this new girl who I fell in love with. I I want her to know how I feel about her. Now, I didn't have a lot of money, but I wanted to buy her something fancy. Never have I bought jewelry for a woman before, but I thought I'll give it a try. And so I bought this little necklace. It was a little heart necklace with three of the smallest diamonds you have ever seen. Uh, Let me tell you, Zell's does not get those things away but here was my plan I thought you know what it's Valentine's Day I'm going to make a splash I'm going to let her know honey you have found the right man and so my plan was as we were together on Valentine's Day I was going to take I was going to take this box with this necklace on it and I was going to sit it up on the counter so she would stumble up on it and here's my expectation is I thought this is the way it's going to happen and she would walk in and she would see it and she would go what is this you shouldn't have and then she would call all of her friends and tell them about this wonderful man she had just met that's what I expected anyway now what I didn't realize is she saw me take this box out of my pocket and it was a square box about that big around and we had been dating about five months and she thought engagement ring box and so what she did is when she saw me pull that out I saw her catch it out of the corner of her eye and she ran to the other side of the room took her wedding ring hand and put it behind her back and looked at me like this. Which is exactly how you want a girl to react when she thinks you're about to propose to her. That's exactly what you want. See, Jessica is so genuine that you can never, ever, you'll never not know what she's thinking. Now, I'm telling you that story for a couple reasons. The first one is, men, you're welcome. Valentine's Day is 10 days from today. It is code red. You need to be making plans to do something for your wife. Ladies, you are also welcome because now they have no excuses. The second reason I'm telling you is because what I've learned about love from those 10 years ago, from that moment, up until this point in our marriage, is that when I have a deep feeling of love and affection for my wife, it moves me to some sort of action. I want to do something for her. I want to bless her in some way. I want to serve her in some way. I want to give her something. And here's what the scripture tells us is that that is the way that we should come about our relationship with God is that our relationship with God is not just a a set of things that we do on Sunday morning. Our relationship with God is what is in our heart moving us to action. We're going to be in Psalm 95 today. I just want to give you a little bit of background about what the Psalms are. When we think about the Psalms, we think about Bible verses and chapters. But these were actually originally written worship songs that were sung in the temple as people came to worship God and to um, and, and to focus their hearts on Him. They're written by various authors. They're divinely inspired. And here's what I love about them is the Psalms will help you focus more so than anywhere else in the Bible, or maybe that's me, that's a personal opinion, will help you focus on the attributes of God. These psalms are deeply committed to focusing on who God is and revealing our heart of worship for Him. And so when we get into the psalms, what we find is a bunch of different kinds of psalms. There are wisdom psalms, which is where someone has just contemplated on the nature of God. And they just, from this wealth of wisdom in their heart, they write a song about who God is and he, he reveals himself to us. There are songs that are songs, psalms that are confession psalms, which are psalms of worship, focusing on our worthiness before his worthiness because of our, our sin. Some of my favorite psalms are lament psalms. These are psalms where the author comes before God and says, why why did you let this happen to me? God, why is this happening? Why is my life like this? But yet in that heart, they still turn and they worship and they trust God. Today, Psalm 95, we're going to look at what is called a royal psalm. This one focuses on Jesus or on God as king of kings. And this author is excited about God. If you've got your Bibles, read, read with me Psalm 95. It says, O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The heights of the hills are also his. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands form the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. Would you guys say that this author was excited about what they knew about God? Yes, they're they're writing stuff down because they are pumped up about who God is. They want to focus on Him. They want to sing to Him. And they want to to shout to Him. And what we're going to find in this psalm and other places in the Scripture is we're going to find a pattern of worship. Where worship is where our hearts move us to some sort of an action. We're going to see that in verses 1 and 2 here. If you want to read this again with me, I want you to look at this. There's some actions that are reflective of this person's heart that wrote this. It says, oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. And again, it says, let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. You see, these actions here, these actions here are born of excitement for God. Like, I'm so excited for God, I want, I want to sing. I'm so excited for God. He says twice, I want to shout joyfully. Does anybody remember that old worship song from the 90s? One of my favorite ones ever. Shout to the Lord, all the earth, let us sing. I can't sing any other day. My voice is really bad today. You guys remember that one? I love that song. It says, come into his presence with thankfulness and a heart of thanksgiving. These are jubilant actions, but I want you to notice that jubilant actions come from an expression of the heart. Think about those three things. When are you most likely to sing? You sing when you have emotion. Now, I I love worship music. I listen to a lot of that. I've also just in my DNA is country music because I'm a redneck and that's part of who you have to be if you're going to wear cowboy boots. And, And if you listen to country music, they express a heart, right? It's either I am so in love, I can't stand it. Or my heart is so broken I can't stand it. We sing and we write songs from the depths of our heart. When do you shout? You shout when you're angry. You shout when you're excited. You shout when you're happy. You shout when there is an emotion inside of you. None of you wake up in the morning and go, woo! That was a good sleep. We shout when we are super excited about what's going on. We shout when something within us has to come out. Thanksgiving is when we have a gratefulness inside of us that has to come out. See, these actions are reflective of a heart. And that heart is that we have affection for God. That almost seems a little uncomfortable, doesn't it, to have affection for God? Like when, I'm a teacher. I've spent a lot of time in junior high school. And when I hear the word affection, I think of PDA, public display of affection. I think of two eighth graders that can't keep their hands off each other. They're like, ah, just stop. And so when I hear affection, like my first thing is like, like, I have affection for my wife you know, at home where nobody can see me. But that's not something public that we do. But here's what the Bible demands of us. And here's what God wants us is he wants us to have an affection for him. That there's a tender intimacy between us and God. That what we're doing is not just a habit. What we're doing is not just us coming to church. That there's something within us that says, I deeply, deeply love and long for God. And because of that, because of that, there are the actions that come from that. This this verse talks about God as the rock of our salvation and talks about entering His presence. And because of those two thoughts, it creates these actions of singing, shouting, and thanksgiving in us. So your first take-home truth on your take-home truth today is worship is our actions reflective of our hearts. When we talk about what worship is, worship is our actions that are reflective of our hearts. And we're going to see that pattern repeated here in the next verses. I'm going to read again for you verses 3 through 5 it says, for the Lord is a great God and the great King above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The heights of the hills are his also. The sea is his for he made it and his hands formed the dry land. Look at the heart focus of who is writing this. They're asking a question. They're asking a question is who is God and what makes him great? This person has a laser-like focus within their heart. I want to know who God is, and I know He's great, but I want to know why He's great. And, and as they begin to go through this, they begin to find define why. Well, I know, I know he's a great God. Well, why is he a great God? Well, he's a great king. He's a great king. He rules with righteousness. He's the kind of ruler that I want to submit my life to. And you know what? Because he is a great God and a great king, that makes him above all other gods. Every other god is, is horrible compared to him. And, and I know that all other gods are fake gods because I know that this is the God who created the mountains, who created the sea with his hands. He formed the dry land. This God is a great God. He is somebody special. See, this author has a knowledge and an understanding of who God is. And it leads to affection. And the truth is, sometimes we have a hard time pouring out affection for God. Because we're too distracted to take time to focus on who he is. To take time and think about his glory and his greatness. What he's done for us, what he's done for others. But this kind of affection leads to a pouring out of actions. This author goes through here and he says, okay, our God is great. He's a great king. He's wonderful. We love him. Everything about him. What are we going to do about it? Verse six, he says, oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Based on this heart of affection for God, we see this moment of worship where we bow and kneel before God. And then we acknowledge that we are his. What I love about this author is they're, they're pouring out from their heart. They're pouring out what they feel about God. But this is not a private moment Did you you catch it in here? Did you catch it in the psalm? that This is an invitation. He's not just saying, I'm going to worship. He's saying, hey, let me tell you about God. Now, do you want to come worship with me? Do you want to come focus on him with me? He has has a desire to express his love and actions, but he has a desire for others to express them as well. This brings us to our second take home truth, and this is maybe the core of the message today. I'm going to call this the worship equation coming up on the screens here. The worship equation is this, is how do we define worship? Is that our ultimate object of affection, which is and should always be God, plus an action equals worship. So when we try to define worship, when we say we're coming together as a church to worship, we want to worship in our hearts, what we're saying is when God becomes the ultimate object of affection in my heart, and that leads me to an action, that that is what worship is. Worship is when I am moved by my heart to do something. Now, as a side note here, here's my hope, is that God is your ultimate object. Is it possible, even in the life of you, who have been saved, who believe in him, who claim to be his follower, is it possible for us to set something else as the ultimate object of affection in our life? Is it possible to replace God in that spot that he belongs in? See, if the ultimate object of our affection is God, and that leads us to an action, and that equals worship of a God, if we change that ultimate object of affection, and we change it to a hobby like golf, or maybe even the good gifts that God has given us, like our spouse and our children, or heaven forbid what we do most of the time, if our ultimate object of affection is ourselves, what that creates is still worship. There's still an ultimate object of affection. There's still an action that comes from that. So therefore it is still worship, but it's not worship of God it's worship of something else what do we call it when we worship anything except god idolatry Idolatry. see idolatry is this sneaky little thing that satan likes to pull on us and very rarely are you going to experience a kind of idolatry where you see somebody take a little statue sit it in their living room and pray to it that's that's not sneaky enough for satan idolatry is when when satan takes the worship that should belong to god and he directs it to something else he distracts us by making the ultimate object of our affection our money or our possessions or our job or influence or our titles satan will provide the opportunities to do that and he will encourage you to worship those things in place of god because he hates god and he does not want god to have his worship and in doing so he can steal the worship of god So here's what I I would say is that if we desire to worship, if we desire to come before God and worship, it begins within our hearts. It has very little to do with the actions. It has to do with where we place our affection. It has to do with what we desire to do. It begins with a heart posture. I've learned. This is going to sound dumb. I've learned you can figure out a lot of what about what words mean by studying the meaning of words. That's, that's not very smart, but it's true. And and so for just a second, I want I want to break down what the word worship means and see how that relates to our heart. So, your next take home sure, truth number three is going to go through a few things here, a few words, and we're going to talk about what these mean. So, in English, the definition of worship in English means to ascribe worth to. To ascribe worth to. As a matter of fact, the original uh, the original word that we now say as worship was once worthship. It, it means it's a part of a relationship where we come to God and we say to God, "You are worthy." God, you are worthy of me taking my attention off my job and putting it on you. God, you are worthy of me spending personal time where I just come before you and I focus on how great you are. God, you are worthy of me giving my love and my praise to you. That's what worship in English means. We worship God by declaring that he is worthy. But I want you to remember something. We are English speakers. The English that we speak is only a few hundred years old. This Bible, parts of it were written as much as five and 6,000 years ago. It was not originally written in English. It was written in Greek and Hebrew. And those words sometimes lose a little bit of their meaning when we translate them from the original language to English. So while the English word, worship, is something that we can say, okay, when I worship, it's me saying, God, you are worthy. There's also a deeper meaning in both the Hebrew and the Greek words. So your next take home truth up here is the Hebrew word, the Hebrew definition is to be bowed low. That is the Hebrew word "shaka." This is the word that you will see translated to worship in the Old Testament. And a lot of times what you will see is a word will have a picture attached to it. So, so to bow low is when we, when we, before somebody else's presence, when we lower ourselves. Now we live in America Thank God we have no kings. But we've seen it on movies. We've experienced it. We we know what you're supposed to do. When the king walks into a court, what does everybody do? They make themselves low before the king. Before the king, I make myself low so that there is no question about your greatness. There is no question about who might be above you. I bow low to represent the fact that you are higher than me. And so when we see the Old Testament word, including here in Psalm 95, Shakah, when we see the Old Testament word worship, this is what it actually means. The original readers of this would have had this mental picture of when I come to worship, what it means is I bow low before the king. We see another picture just like that. The Greek word, your next take home truth. Uh, the Greek word is proskinio, And this means to lay prostrate or to lay in submission. Once again, this word gives us a picture. You guys have seen wrestlers before, you know, they come out and they're wearing the the leotard. They've got big muscles everywhere and they go to town wrestling each other. But at the end of it, one of the wrestlers comes to a point where he realizes I cannot beat this other person. I've come up against a force too powerful for me and therefore I give up. And what do they do? They lay in submission. They stop struggling. They cry uncle or mercy. The Greek word, which is what you'll find in your New Testament, that's what that word means. It is when you struggle against something and then you just give up and you lay low before it as an act of submission. So when we talk about worship, worship is not the action. Worship is when our heart posture comes before God. And we come into His presence and we say, God, in the presence of your glory, I want to make myself small. I want to be little so that by comparison, I can understand your greatness and your glory. I don't want to be the main object of attention. God, I want to make myself unseeable so that I and anybody else can see you. When we say worship, that's what we mean is that our heart comes before the Lord and said, make much of Jesus, make little of me. And possibly out of all the things the Bible calls us to do, out of all the things that we are supposed to do as followers of Christ, this might be the hardest one. To make myself little before a great and mighty God. Because if I'm being honest, let me just tell you, I'm not perfect. If I'm being honest, I don't want to be little. I want to be big. I want to be great. I want to be powerful. I want to know that everybody looks up to me. I want the attention. That's who Brian is on the inside. That's who you are on the inside. But to worship God means I lay all that aside and say, God, I no longer want those things because in comparison, God, I want you to be made great. God, I want you to have the glory that I would normally try to keep for myself. Alistair Begg put it this way, talking about one of the problems that we have sometimes in our faith. He says, see, the problem is that we get huge ideas about ourselves and tiny ideas about God. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, if we looked into our heart today and we looked into our minds and we said, day to day, what do I spend more time focusing on? Do I spend more time focusing on me and how great I am? Or do I spend more time focusing on how God, how great God is? My fear is that most of us would say, I focus on me a lot more than I do God. I, I focus on me more than I do His greatness. Now, here's the problem with that, is without That heart posture before God, without a heart posture that says, I have come to lay low before you, without a heart posture that says, I am here to bow to the king, no matter what your action is, there is no worship without that heart posture. What did, we, what did we define worship as earlier? It's an equation. When the object of affection of our heart plus an action come together, those things create worship. If you're still part of an equation, it no longer balances. You can break an equation. For example, 2 plus 2 equals... Did somebody say 24? 2 plus 2 equals four but if I steal one part of that equation and I say okay I'm gonna steal the first two of that and now I come to you and I just say plus two equals four you're like no it doesn't Uh, yeah it does Uh, no it doesn't and what we try to do in our hearts a lot of time is we we try to worship have this action of worship and we ascribe worship to being the action without the heart and so what we actually say is the action equals worship and in truth, that's just the silliest saying two equals four. It simply doesn't. Here's my fear today, Ramsey Heights. My fear in myself, in you, in our church, is that we have a lot of actions without the right heart behind it. My fear is that we do a lot of the right things for the wrong reasons without the right heart posture pushing the action. And we fall into habits and rituals and traditions and we call these things worship. But we're just going through the motions. And what we actually have is a false counterfeit of worship. I told you I'd meet you in Ephesians 5 and I'll be there in a second, but I want to share with you just a a quick scripture from Malachi chapter 1. 1. In the Old Testament, which Malachi is found in, there were prescribed actions of worship that God had his people do. There were rituals, there were sacrifices, there were prayers that they were commanded to do. And in Malachi, we see that the group of people who belong to God are doing these things, but they miss the heart posture that God intended for them to have behind these things. And I want you to listen to what God says about this. This is Malachi chapter 1, verses 7 through 10. This is God speaking. He says, You offer defiled food on my altar, but say, in what way have we defiled you? By saying the table of the Lord is contemptible. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with it? Would he accept you favorably? Says the Lord of hosts. But now entreat God's favor that he may be gracious with you while this is being done by your hands. Will he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? Verse 10, who is there even among you who would shut the doors so that you would not kindle fire on my altar in vain? I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts. So what God's talking about, he's saying, hey, I see in your rituals. I see what you're doing. I see some counterfeit worship. You're doing the right things, but you're doing them without the heart. And here's what God says about those things. In verse 10, he says, is there anybody who will just close the doors of the temple? Like, can anybody just stop this from happening where there's no longer fire being put on the altar? There's no longer these sacrifices that don't actually have heart behind them. Just, Just close the doors. And that way, maybe that won't happen anymore. Let me me break it down clear for you. I want you to know what God is saying is that God hates counterfeit worship. That's not my words, that's from the scripture. Because here's what he says He says, If I have to choose between counterfeit worship, you doing the actions without the heart, and you not doing the actions at all, I choose for you to not do the actions at all. God does not desire, nor has he ever desired, your actions. God desires your heart and from that heart actions should flow this is this is the the bare minimum of what god wants for us he doesn't want us to worship as an action that we put out there because we think he wants it. he wants us to worship as a way of serving someone who we love your fourth take home truth is this is god rejects worshipful actions that lack worshipful heart posture god is not interested in the actions he's interested in your heart And the reason for that, listen to me carefully. God deserves to be loved back. God deserves for you to love him with a passion. And he knows that. Because let me tell you something about you and me. Nothing that we're ever going to do is going to make us right with God. You and I and everybody like us, we have rejected God. We have insulted God. We have told God, I don't want you to be in charge because I want to be in charge. You make a bad God, I'd make a greater God. I'm going to make my own rules. I'm going to do my own thing. And we say that to God and we go laugh with our friends about how silly this God is that he would try to rule our lives. That is what sin is. When you say you sin, you have mocked God. You have rejected him and you have attacked him. And yet in the midst of that, in the midst of that, God looks at this mess that we've made of our lives. He looks at me and you knowing not only have we just messed up, that we have made a decision to reject him. And he says, I want you back. And he paid the price for you and I to come back to him so that we could be his. That deserves worship. That deserves love. My favorite picture of this, and I don't want you to put your, yourself in this position. There's a picture of this painted in the first, chap- first three chapters of the book of Hosea. Hosea is a prophet and God says, I want you to teach my people about me. He says, so here's what you're going to do. I want you to go down to the house of ill repute. I want you to go down and I want you to marry a prostitute. She's thrown her life away. She's dirty in every way. She's unlovable by anybody. She's just an object to a bunch of men. You go down, you take her and you make her your wife and you love her with a deep passion like you would any other woman. Hosea does this. He loves her. He clothes her. He provides for her. He does all the things a good husband should do. But because of who she is, she turns her back on him and goes back to her own life. And she helps from man to man and she goes back to her old job and she rejects Hosea. The Bible refers to you and I sinning as being adulterers or cheaters. And so in the midst of all this, she gets herself into such a place where her sin has consumed her. She is now literally a slave on an auction block. And God says to Hosea, go buy her and make her your wife again. I don't know about y'all. If I was Hosea, I'd have a problem with that. But Hosea went and did it. And this is the reason. This is the story that God is trying to tell. He says, such is my love for my people. That though they reject me, though they attack me, though they hurt me, that I pay the price for them to come back to me so that I can love them unconditionally and forgive them. That is the position. Listen, if you're a believer, that is the position you find yourself sitting in this morning. You are dirty and unworthy of God, but he pursued you, not because you're special, but because he has a lot of love and a lot of grace for you and your brokenness. And any God who would do that for me and any God who would do that for you is worthy, worthy of our worship. So here's what I want to challenge myself. Here's what I want to challenge you to as well, is I want to challenge us to get our heart right. Get our focus of our heart right and let our actions flow from our heart. Listen, if all you have is counterfeit worship, there is no reason for you to be here. Okay. Now, Let me clarify that. I'm not saying you have to make yourself good enough to be here. We at Ramsey Heights love you. I'm not trying to kick you out or say you're not welcome here. None of those things. Here's what I'm telling you. Friendly advice. If all you have for God in your life is counterfeit worship, you might as well sit at the house on Sunday morning and watch TV. Because those two things, sitting in a church with counterfeit worship and sitting on the couch watching your phone or watching TV, have the exact same spiritual value. I'm not trying to elevate watching TV. I want you to know how useless fake worship is to God, how unimportant it is to him and how much he detests it. So let's see if we can apply this today. There, There are many actions that fit to worship that my heart, my heart wants to worship God. And it leads me to an action. Many actions fit that could be Bible study, that could be prayer, that could be serving in any way. But today, what I want to talk about is verbal worship. And how this comes out, this heart posture should come out in verbal worship. In Psalm 95, he talked about his heart, and then his heart spews out in shouting and singing. Here's what Matthew 15, 17 tells us. It says in so many words, it says, what is in your heart will come out of your mouth. And if that's anger and bitterness that's in your heart, that's what's going to come out of your mouth. But if it's love and affection for God, what will come out of your mouth is love and affection for God. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 5, if you still have your Bibles open. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 5 and see what this says about worshiping. Give you a second to turn there, verse 17. It says, Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, in hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Did you catch that? There's that equation. There's an action of singing all of these songs, but it comes from the melody in your heart. Verse twenty: giving thanks always for the things, to, for all thanks to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's this equation: that the melody of our heart in giving thanks will erupt in us into verbal praise of singing and worship. This defines this action is defined in three ways it says sing in three ways number one sing sing some psalms that's in the book of psalms what we just read those were originally meant to be sing, sung sing those songs to God but hey if you, get, if you get tired of those go ahead and sing some hymns those are songs that we sing directed to God like the old song you guys know the song How Great Thou Art I'm not even going to try to sing that one for you like that's a song it's, it's not singing about God I'm singing it to God like God how great how great you are and if you get tired of singing the hymns, sing spiritual songs. These are songs that you sing about God, things that you sing about his nature. Those are songs like, how great is our God? It has the same heart and the same concept, but instead of saying, God, how great you are, I'm asking everybody, else, how great is our God? That's what we sing. The Bible gives us a lot of latitude to sing so long as we do it in the right heart. Now, I noticed something here in the scripture that caught me off guard. Completely not the reason I was going to the scripture, but this is what it caught me. Did you notice something that didn't seem to fit here? Like it's talking about singing. If you go back through your Bible and you kind of look at the concepts, it's like walk in love, walk in light, walk in wisdom. And in the middle of these verses, there's an alternative set for us that I just thought was really odd. Did you catch it? It says, do not be drunk on wine. But instead be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms, spiritual hymns and spiritual songs. That just caught me off guard. Like the Bible talks a lot about drunkenness, but it's always like in the list of like, hey, here's the things that you shouldn't be do- doing, and then that's put in there. But in this, the Bible gives us an alternative. You're going to choose one or you're going to choose the other. And that didn't make sense. It would make a lot more sense to me... If if this scripture had said, hey, don't speak evil about people, but instead sing praises to God. That makes sense. But how is being filled with the Spirit and singing an alternative to being drunk on wine? And so I thought about that and I prayed about that. Like, what why, God? Why, Why is that in there? And finally it came to me. Why do we as human beings turn to alcohol and substances? It's because we believe a lie. That at the bottom of that bottle, there will be happiness. At the bottom of that bottle, maybe, maybe I'll, I'll be more comfortable around people and I won't feel so bad. At the bottom of that bottle, maybe it'll take the pain away. At the bottom of that bottle, maybe I'll be a different me than I was before I started drinking. And we turn to alcohol for comfort. But listen, like all sins, that bottle will lie to you see here's a secret about a sin sin will lie to you it will give you a promise of something good and then it will steal from you it'll give you a promise that hey you'll feel really good if you do this but then you do it and what it'll do is it'll immediately steal everything good from you and here's here's the way i would put this here's the lie that alcohol would say is that first you get drunk but then drunkenness gets you you know anybody like that like started out getting drunk but now drunkenness seems to have them And so here's what the scripture is setting. It's setting up this alternative like, hey, it is within you to turn to this substance to try to bring you comfort. Why not instead turn to God and worship for your comfort? Why not instead let let worship for God control you instead of your body's desire for something that's going to make you feel better after a hard day? And it goes back to a heart posture of turning to God and allowing him to be the most important thing in our lives, even in the midst of the worst day of my life. your your fifth take home truth is this number five true worship comforts believers in every circumstance when we talk about worship this isn't like hey Ramsey Heights get yourself straightened out you're missing out if you miss the true heart of worship you're missing something that God meant to bless us with when our heart cries out to him and then we sing to him or we serve him there's something special about that that does something within us that is good and I don't want us to miss it anymore many of you have heard this story I've told it before about a man named Horatio Spafford Uh, this man had a very hard life he was a successful businessman he lost a lot in the Chicago fires of 1871 not too long after that his four-year-old son died of fever and he told his wife he said we got to go on a vacation let's get on a boat and let us go across the ocean we're going to Europe and we're getting away from everything last minute a business deal stopped him from going he put his wife and his four daughters on this boat and he said you guys go i'll be there as soon as i can i'll be not very far behind y'all y'all enjoy but on its way across the ocean that boat struck something and sunk 200 people died a few days later horatio spafford got a message from his wife that said survived alone his four little girls were taken from him never to be seen again and later as he as he traveled as he went across the ocean the captain of the ship knew what he had been through and he called him up to the bridge and he said i just want you to know he said this is the rough location of where the shipwreck happened we're now floating over the watery grave of your four daughters what did he do in that moment he turned to worship he went back to his room, and he wrote these words that you've heard. It says "When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul." though satan should buffet though trial should come let this blessed assurance control that christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul see true worship is this is that when my heart has, has a deep affection for god he's who i go to for comfort and focusing on who he is and when we miss the true heart of worship and we reduce it into this set of actions that we think we have to do to meet God not only only are we giving God a counterfeit worship that he despises we're missing something that God desperately wants us to have and that is communion with him if our worship team would start to come up here get ready I want to tell you guys this this is the reason we sing in church we don't sing because it makes a few people happy. We don't sing because it's the right thing to do. We sing because we want to we praise God from our mouths what's in our heart. And I want us as a church to begin to focus our hearts on him and reject just doing the actions. So we're going to begin services a little bit different going forward. We're going to take time. Instead of taking time to announce all the things that are going on at Ramsey House. we're going to take time to focus on who Jesus is before we sing. And so each week we're going to declare our praise and focus our hearts on him. So if you would, please stand with me. Let's prepare to sing. We're going to have this coming up on the screens up here. This will be our declaration of praise. We'll do it just like we have in the past when we do our, our ending of our services. Wait, 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 wait. wait, wait, declaration of praise first rb first first thing in the greeting technical difficulties there we go all right this is what we're going to say we're going to say it every sunday and i want you to say it like you mean it and focus on the words you guys really Are you with me? All right, here we go. I have come to this place to worship Jesus, my Savior. His shed blood rescued me. His death gave me eternal life. He is my rock and my shield, and I am his child. Let us sing of his grace. Let us praise his glory. Let us worship with thankfulness. Glory and honor and praise be to the King of Kings. Thank you for joining us this week at Ramsey Heights. We hope you enjoyed this week's message, and if you did, feel free to share it with others. If we can help you begin to follow Jesus or grow in your relationship with Him, join us on Sundays or connect with us on social media or our website, ramseyheightsfamily.online.